Psalm 103. Again, this is the inerrant, infallible, and life-giving Word of God. Psalm 103, the Holy Spirit writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not um, always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone." And his place is known no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of the Lord. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's turn our attention now to the Heidelberg Catechism as it's printed in the bulletin. Looking today at Lord's Day 51, question 126. Let's read together. What does the fifth petition mean? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Means because of Christ's blood, not impute to us, poor sinners that we are, any of the transgressions we do or the evil that constantly clings to us. Forgive us just as we are determined as evidenced by your grace in us wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbors. So as we come near the close of the year, we come to the ending of the Heidelberg Catechism. And even though we're coming to the end of the Heidelberg Catechism, the Catechism does not shy away from weighty matters. In Lord's Day 51, weighty matters are nothing less than the forgiveness of our sins. How are our sins forgiven? What happens when our sins are forgiven? How does being forgiven shape the way that we live? 
These are weighty questions. They are questions that touch on matters of life and death. So in this sermon, I'll first consider the power of Christ's blood. Secondly, the canceling of sin. And thirdly, a redeemed view of our neighbors. So first, the power of Christ's blood. Notice in the Catechism, it begins with the words, Because of Christ's blood. The answer given in the Catechism depends on this. Given the blood of Christ, therefore the answer. Assumed then in the, is the, in the Catechism is uh, the question of the power of the blood of Christ. It is assumed in this question. And this has been something that if you can remember uh, some of the big themes throughout the Catechism, the Catechism has been reinforcing this again and again that the blood of Christ is in fact powerful. Our salvation, our eternal life, our hope, our assurance, all of it <coughs> rests upon the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the Catechism has, aff has affirmed ver uh, question one, for example, his blood paid for all our sins. Qu question 70, Christ's blood is the basis for God forgiving us. Question 73, Christ's blood is what takes away our sin. Question 75, the blood of Christ refreshes our souls for eternal life. And finally, question 86, we are redeemed because of Christ's blood. <clears throat> so the blood of Christ is no small matter in the catechism. It, it is the thread, you could say, that undergirds uh, the message of salvation, the message and hope of eternal life. The writer of Hebrews said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But no ordinary blood will do. Only the perfect, sinless blood of the God-man. And this separates us, Christians, from other religions as well. I remember years ago talking with a Muslim. And, and in Islam, there's no atonement. There's no shedding of blood. Uh, that doesn't have to happen. Uh, in, in Islam, their God just kind of pardons people as, as he wants to. Uh, there's even a tale where somebody uh, died and met Allah, and uh, he weighed his good and bad deeds, and his bad deeds outweighed his good. But he just calls a little flick of the scale and l let him into heaven. And it's arbitrary. There's, there's no atonement. In fact, I was talking with a Muslim, and I said, do you think that Yahweh is more holy than than Allah, because we, he requires the shedding of blood. Um, he actually uh, conceded the point that, yes, in Christianity, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Allah did not die for your sins. Buddha did not die for your sins. Um, Brahma did not die for your sins. Only Jesus Christ. He is the only way to be saved. Without Christ, there is no salvation. Without the blood of Christ, there is only hell for eternity. The canons of Dort <clears throat> speak about the blood of Christ, saying, It is of infinite value and worth, more than sufficient to atone for the sins of the whole world. So as we continue in this 
particular catechism question, we do so noting the first point, that, the, that the Christ's blood is powerful. There is power in the blood of Christ. It is the perfect, spotless blood of Christ. And now to my second point, the canceling of sins. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus said, forgive us our debts. While in the gospel of Luke, he says, forgive us of our sins. And of course, these are related. The Puritan Thomas Boston, he said, sin is called debt because it is a taking away from God something for which we owe him an equivalent by sin, we rob God of his honor. Every sinner is a debtor owing more than he is able to pay. In other words, we have a sin debt. And we have a sin debt because of our original sin. Adam's sin is our sin, but also our actual sins. Sins of omission, sins of commission. We have a debt, and the debt grows each and every day. And when you have a debt, well, you can either pay the debt or you can go to debtor's jail, as used to happen. Well, our debt, as Boston said, is too much, too great to pay. God requires perfect, personal, exact, entire obedience from cradle to grave in thought, in word, and in deed. And so when we sin, even the smallest of sins, we are guilty, James 2.10 says, of breaking every law of God. You can think of the law like a sheet of glass. One, one tiny stone shatters the whole thing. Our debt grows and grows each and every day, and it drowns us. But the blood of Christ... We go back to the blood of Christ. Zacharias, your sinus, said, So God forgives our debts when he does not lay them to our account, nor punish us on account of them, and that because he has punished them in his Son, our mediator. In other words, Jesus is our substitute. Jesus obeyed for us. Jesus lived a righteous life because we could not. Jesus died the death we deserved. Jesus felt the wrath we should have felt. He was our substitute. He earned a righteousness, and He offers that righteousness to us, and we receive it by faith alone, apart from works. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Jeremiah 31 Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. Unlike in Roman Catholicism, for example, that teaches that we have to pay for all of our own sins in purgatory. Now, we believe that Christ's blood was sufficient to cancel all of our debts, 
to remove all of our sins in such a way that God does not remember them anymore, but casts them as far as east is from the west. And so we pray, forgive us our debts, even though we are poor sinners, do not impute to us the sins we commit daily, nor the evil that constantly clings to us. But some have questioned, some have asked, why should we pray this petition if we're already justified? We're already forgiven in Christ. Why would I pray, forgive me of my debts? It already happened. Well, again, I think Thomas Boston is helpful here. He distinguishes three different types of pardons. In the first sense, when we ask Christ to pardon us, we are asking Christ, justify us, pardon us of our sin, free us so we do not go to eternal wrath in hell. And of course, when we are first coming to Christ, indeed we pray that, forgive us of my sin. But even, even though this is already an objective reality, if you are in Christ, your sins are gone. If you are in Christ, your sins are nailed to the Christ already. And you can have assurance of that. And the Bible wants you to have assurance of that. The Bible wants you to know that if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Romans 8, chapter, uh, Romans 8 verse 1. But even though this is a reality, that once we are in Christ, our sins are gone, we, we desire, don't we, to remain. We desire that to continue. We desire to, to, to live in that state of, of being forgiven. Your sign has said that we should daily desire this continuance. Each day grateful that our sins are gone. Each day uh, wanting them to be gone. Excited that they're gone. Wanting to continue in that, in that uh, uh, state of being forgiven. Excited about it. So that's one, one way in which we ask God to pardon our sins. Thomas Boston outlined a second type of pardon. Not only do we want to be pardoned from eternal wrath, but he said we want to, want to be pardoned from the guilt of temporal strokes. Here he's speaking about godly discipline that we might receive. God disciplines us for holiness, Hebrews chapter 12. Believers can grieve the Holy Spirit by their sins, Ephesians chapter 4. And so we ask, pardon our sins, dear God. We have in view those daily sins that cling to us, that, 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 those sins that are indwelling, those sins that are still, still clinging to us in such a way that they weigh us down, as the writer of Hebrews says. We have those sins in mind that bring fatherly discipline in fact, your sign has said that by praying this petition, we are reminded of our remaining sin. It reminds us of our remaining sin, and he says it, it helps us in our repentance that it would become more earnest and deep. That as we pray this, it, it actually aids and, and carries on and helps us to repent of our sin. Daily we repent, daily we turn from sin. Praying this petition helps us along the way. So that's the second type, type of pardon. And the third type of pardon that Boston um, titled was called declarative pardon. And it's a kind of pardon for sin that gives us comfort. It's more subjective. So when, when, we, 
when we hear your sins are forgiven. That brings us comfort. We need to hear that. Even though it's an objective reality, we have doubts. We have fears. We get tripped up sometimes. Sometimes we know one thing theologically true in our minds, and then our hearts wonder, does God love me? Am I really forgiven? What about my sin? And so the declarative pardon is a, a pardon, Boston said, that may be so that we may be delivered from doubts, fears, and that of eternal wrath. So we, we would be free from our fears, free from our doubts, free from the, the angst. That we would, we would hear the pardon of God again and again. Your sins are forgiven. So just because our sins are indeed forgiven, because we are in Christ, we ought to pray daily, forgive us our debts. And as we pray this, we should have full confidence that Christ does, in fact, forgive us of our debts. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, sometimes we feel like we are just so wicked. We feel defiled by thoughts and evil desires. We feel constant evil, as the Catechism says, that clings to us. But those sins, those debts, that evil is not imputed to you. Your heavenly Father looks upon you as if you have never sinned. If you are in Christ, the Father looks at you as if you have never sinned a day in your life and as if you have been as obedient as Christ was because we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ received by faith alone. Thomas Boston said, He is a forgiving God. Why does He teach us to pray for pardon to ourselves and others, but that, 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 but, but that there is a fullness of mercy for pardon with Him? He wants us to pray because He is merciful. He is ready to pardon. He is ready to, to, to announce to you your sins are gone. He is ready to comfort you in those ways. And so He asks us, pray this. Forgive us our debts. So Christ's blood is of infinite value, filled with sufficient power to save, and Christ's blood has canceled our debts. And now to my third point. How then do we view our neighbors? So Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 16, Jesus said, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespass. He said also in Matthew 18, 21 and 22, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. You know, sadly, it is all, all, all too often the case that we gladly receive a gift that we don't want to extend to others. We love it when the judge is lenient to us, but then we demand full payment for that guy over there. I heard someone say one time, unless that person completely changes his act, I'll never forgive him. And I said, is that how Christ treated you? 
clean yourself up and then I'll forgive you. We often want to receive a gift in such a way that we don't extend that to other people. If we were dead in our trespasses and sins, if we were rebellious worms, complete rubbish, hell-bound sinners, and then God sent His Son to redeem us, to purchase us, to ransom us, to forgive us, and we didn't deserve it. If He did that to people that were, that were undeserving, when we deserved hell, when we deserved wrath, when we deserved eternal darkness, He gave us light and life. How can we not likewise do to other people? How can we not offer forgiveness? How can we say thank you for forgiving a totally depraved person like me, but that guy over there, give him your full wrath? This is something I think the prophet Jonah struggled with as well. How could God pardon Nineveh? They're nasty people. Well, the question is, how could God pardon Israel or anybody for that matter? You see, friends, when we are forgiven much, we forgive much. When we are loved much, we love much. Because God has lavished forgiveness upon us, let us lavish it upon our neighbors as well. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.